Hi. Today's reading is from the first chapter of the book of James, and verses 1 to 18. So James 1, 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom fails and the beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chris. Are you out there? You're all a very long way away from me this morning. I did shower, I promise. <laughs> um, so, I have a free gift for you this morning, a recommendation. If you like modern fiction, read Amor Tao's A Gentleman in Moscow. Brilliant book. But I was not far into the book when I had to stop and Google other search engines are available. I had to check if the Russian count at the centre of this story really existed. Was I reading history or was I reading imagining? It felt important that I found out before I continued. Well, it's not a plot spoiler, the count is a work of fiction. And as we approach any one of the books of the Bible, it's good to ask ourselves, is this history, is it poetry, is it wisdom, is it biography? Who wrote it, why, when? So it would feel remiss of me as we start this sermon series in James not to address some of those questions. So who? Well, James, the first word. 
For centuries, it was felt that James was the son of Mary and Joseph, brother of Jesus, but modern scholars are divided. When? Well, because of the uncertainty over who James is, there's a wide range of possible dates of authorship, possibly as early as AD 40, but more likely after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, um, sometime over the following 50 years. Well, that hasn't got us very far, has it? Why? What sort of writing? Well, despite our initial expectations, it's not really a letter. At least, that isn't how it reads. It's addressed to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, but that's about all as all-encompassing as you can get. And it's not one of a letter to a particular church in a particular context. Rather than this idea of a direct pinpoint letter, it's more like, I think, a set of sermon planning notes. Did you notice, as Chris read for us, that James bounces about? You can imagine him sitting wherever, thinking, I must mention this, I ought to say that, and don't forget the other. It's almost a collection of ideas, a freewheeling across James's mind. But thank God, because whatever the question marks we have over this book, it's part of God's word to his people then and now. As we read and open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, we can hear God speak through these words. We can learn, we can be encouraged, we can be challenged. No other epistle in the New Testament has as many references to what Jesus taught as this one does. So let's read, mark, and learn, and let's pray. So let's just pause now. Father God, as we um, focus in on just a few of James's thoughts this morning, may you speak to us. May we allow you to go to those deepest places in our hearts and minds. And may we receive you, learn from you, be encouraged and challenged by you. For your glory. Amen. So as I said, James bounces around a lot, but a few things pinged out for me as I read those first 18 verses. And in fact, it was the three T's. Trials, testing, and temptation. And that felt a bit hardcore. I'll be honest, I don't like facing trials. I like an easy life. Retired, I like to be able to use my time, how I want to use it, to know where my loved ones are and that they're all okay. Not trials and tests, please. And as for temptation, well, that catches me out far too often. But whatever we feel about trials, tests, temptations, they are part of our lives, aren't they? And so thank God that the Bible has much to say about these challenges to us and that it's very real and honest about it all. I'm not a linguist, but this is one of those times when considering the original Greek is helpful and important. Simply, the words test, 
trial and tempt are all the same word in Greek. So if we read too much into the nuances of whether the word test, trial or temptation are used in this passage, we are reading as much into the translator as we are James. So that's something to be aware of but not bogged down by because three key questions remain. How do we face trials and temptations? What do we believe about God when we're in the middle of them? And how might we come out the other side? Well, as I said, temptation catches me out far too often for comfort. In small ways, and it's wrong to categorize, but I'm going to. So small ways, like checking the weather forecast when I'm in the middle of doing my quiet time in the morning. I wouldn't do that if I was sat down in the community corners chatting to Jules. So why do I do it to God? In middle ways, like ungracious, ungrateful thoughts, which I definitely can't share here publicly. And then there's those temptations that I've succumbed to over the years that not even my best friend knows about. But God does know And incredibly, he still loves me. He loves us, and we can trust that. Jesus himself faced temptation. In Luke, we read, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. We can be sure we will face temptation. The devil wants to lure us away from God, to make a cheap deal with us, to distract us from the joy of God's love, the hope of eternal life. We can be sure we will face temptation because, let's face it, we are and can be weak-willed. We, without any ploys from the devil, often want to put ourselves and our own comfort first. We will be sure we will face temptation because as James so clearly says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But wait, I just said that Jesus faced temptation and found a verse that showed that. And then I've just read another verse that says, God cannot be tempted. Well, firstly, I think that underlines that you can never produce just one biblical verse out of a hat and think that proves everything. Beware. But actually, that seeming contradiction is fine. Jesus fully divine but fully human that's a whole other servant sermon but it means that jesus in his humanity entered into and experienced and understands our temptations and our struggles hebrews writes we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So God does not 
tempt us. God cannot look on sin, on evil. God is good. God is love. We can be confident that if we are being tempted by anything that goes against our understanding of God's law, his nature, his writings, then it is not of him. Resist. Because we do not want to follow anything that leads us away from God. But take heart, because when we face temptation, God stands with us. We can cry out to him for help. Jesus instructs us to pray that temptation won't take root. We've just said, lead us not into temptation. Part of the Lord's Prayer, asking God to help us to resist. If we fall into temptation and do, think, say, do wrong things, then own up and believe this promise. It's from John's first letter, but I'm reading from the message. If we admit our sins, simply come clean about them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. So we should approach life with eyes wide open. We're going to be tempted. Ask God daily to help us to resist. If, as it will, temptation overtakes us and we do the wrong thing, we can have absolute confidence that in coming back to God and saying sorry, he will forgive us. Just like the father in the parable, God stands with arms wide open and envelops us with love and mercy. So moving on to circumstances, events that we would describe as trials and tests, do they come from God? In the Bible, the standout incident for me is Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son. No matter how many times I've read that story, preached on it, heard it preached on it feels extreme, doesn't it? And of course it is. But it was a particular time and a particular event, and it was a prelude to that once and for all moment when God sacrificed his son Jesus so that we might know and receive that forgiveness and love that we've just been talking about. So let's dial into the trials and tests we might face, because we do, don't we? Surely I'm not alone. I would really hesitate to say that the things I face or see those I love facing are from God. I can't say that it never happens, but just as with Isaac and Abraham, I think it's exceptional. Rather, what I face is as a result of a broken world, a world where I and others can live selfishly, where God's good creation has been distorted. Trials and tests can be powerfully used by God, but rarely, I believe, brought about by him. Now, I know what my current challenges are, you know yours, and God knows them all. It might be around the cost of living explosion. It might be around job security, relationship stuff, health issues. 
a difficult decision to be made, a moral question that seems to have no win-win answer. What's on your mind at the moment? It may be directly related to your faith. You know you're only finding this difficult because of your faith. The persecuted church might say that. The challenge may be affecting, affecting your faith as you struggle to pray, struggle to hear what God is saying, struggle to know he's even there with you in it. Life throws stuff at us and it tests our faith. It's a trial which we just don't want. Take it away, Lord. Then we read verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Really, James? Really? If you knew what I was facing, you wouldn't be saying that. But then I pause. Because James might not have had me in mind when he wrote those words, but Jesus knows exactly what I am facing at the moment. Jesus knows exactly what you are facing at the moment. So we should pause and know that. And like the psalmist, we might want to throw a bit of a rant at God. Psalm 22 is just one example where the psalmist cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. Jesus himself in anguish prayed as he faced arrest. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. It seems to me that we can be far too reserved in our dealings with God. You know, we can tell him what we feel. The pain of infertility, the trauma of abuse, the disappointment of unfulfilled dreams, the open wounds of prejudice. Whatever it may be, we do not have to sugarcoat it for our Heavenly Father. We can tell him how it is and how we are feeling. But then how do we get from that telling to joy? We're spilling out our inmost thoughts and feelings to someone who loved us, who created us, who would die for us, is part of that journey. Because to go through the tough times, knowing God is with us, knowing we are heard, that when we pray, come Holy Spirit, he is right there by us, is a movement towards joy. As James says in verse 5, we should pray for wisdom, believing that God will give it. James says, don't doubt, don't hedge your bets. When you face tough times, believe God is with you and will help you. We find joy in the love of our brothers and sisters who walk with us, pray for us, listen to us, cheer us on. This week at Engage, there were some of us gathered here as church family, and we prayed for protection, for joy, for God's kingdom over the holiday club. 
Helen and her team might love doing Holiday Club, but we would be wrong to think that this isn't sometimes a trial, a challenge, anxiety-making. But as we pray and persevere in prayer, joy and God working shines out. This week at a local cafe, a friend and I met and prayed about challenges that we have. As she prayed for me, I felt joy in her support, joy in knowing that she was interceding on my behalf. God was with us. Nothing changed in the challenges, but in here, in my heart, things did change. We find joy because, as James says, as we face these trials with brothers and sisters at our side and Jesus in the centre, we change. James says we learn to persevere, which brings maturity. Paul writes to the church in Rome, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. If we lean on God during the tough times, our transformation continues. Because as Paul resumes, hope doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love is working away within us. James says in verse 12 that we are blessed for persevering, and this is the biggest joy, because we find joy in knowing that our future is assured with Christ, that we receive the crown of life, hope of an eternal future, confidence in forgiveness, all promised by our Heavenly Father. Life may suck at the moment, but as James says in verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Think back with me to the pinch points in your life. And I hope and suspect that, like me, it, you'll find that it's true that those are the moments when you felt closest to God. In the trials and tests of life, God is there. The Lord is here. As I talk to often, so off, uh, sorry, as I talk to others, so often they echo that. When the land seemed darkest, then arose the glimmer of light, rays of hope, an almost tangible presence of God, as trials and life challenges were faced with faith in our faithful Lord. God is faithful. He does not change. Words that offer hope and huge encouragement when facing any kind of trial or temptation. God is with us. We can, with his help, come out the other side. And amazingly, we will be more Christ-like as a result. Just going to ask you to stand now. The band are going to come up. As they do... 
I just want you to picture maybe that trial, that test, that temptation that you are facing at the moment. Maybe, maybe life is good for you at the moment. There may be, you may want to do this on behalf of somebody else. That's between you and God. You might find it helpful as you think to just open your hands in front of you to silently pray, come Holy Spirit. Just give to God what you're facing, what the person you love is facing. Wait on him. Wait on him and hand it over to him. Ask for wisdom. Ask for strength. Ask that as you persevere, God will be changing you. as Paul writes to the Corinthians that we will be transformed into his image with ever increasing glory come Holy Spirit be with me be with us in what we're holding before you this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.